Welcome to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. My pronouns are he, him, his. On this episode of Nathan Out Loud, I speak with Megan Stabler. Megan was my very first guest on my first season of Nathan Out Loud, and when I decided to relaunch the podcast, I knew that I needed to get Megan back on the show. Megan is a highly experienced business executive and prominent political advocate and activist. She currently serves as VP of Global Product Marketing and Communications for Big Commerce, one of the world's leading e-commerce companies. Megan has held key leadership roles in several technology firms over the past two decades. In 2019, Megan became the first transgender member of Planned Parenthood's National Board of Directors, serving on both the Planned Parenthood Federation and Action Fund boards. She also serves on the National Board of Directors for the Democratic Majority for Israel and is a vice president of the Lesbian and Gay Police Officers Association. Megan served eight years on the National Board of Directors for the Human Rights Campaign, America's largest LGBT civil rights organization. She also served on HRC's Business Council, focusing on LGBT workplace equality. She continues to play an active consulting role in federal, state, and local politics, advising several Democratic campaigns and candidates on strategies, positioning, and messaging. She has been actively sought by state legislators across the U.S. to provide expert testimony on LGBTQ employment, housing, workplace discrimination, and relationship recognition. She was elected as a Texas delegate to the DNC both in 2012 and 2020 and has served on the DNC's National LGBT Committee and on the AIDS Foundation Houston Executive Board. Now here's my conversation with Megan Stabler. Well, I would like to welcome Megan Stabler back to Nathan Out Loud. Hello, Megan. Been a long time, Nathan. How the heck are you? <laughs> Eleven years since the last episode we recorded. If you can believe it, uh, it's crazy. I mean, if you if you think back, eleven years ago, "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" hadn't been repealed. Right. Marriage equality wasn't here. We had marriage in a couple of states. That was about it. Trans visibility was limited. Gosh, we've come a long way in eleven years. And and looking at your handsome face it looks like you've uh, you've grown a beard since i last saw you I'm i have sure grown that. a beard and i have the quarantine haven't had a haircut in six months so you know wow. <laughs> yeah a lot has changed when we last spoke we were a hundred days into president obama's term first term we had just passed hate crimes in congress and we're waiting for it to pass in the senate if i wow. remember correctly um and now we're three weeks away from another election. And the first, you know, eight years since we have spoken was, you know, had its ups and downs. But for the most part, I think as a community, we came out much better. Yeah. These last four years have been challenging. <laughs> it, it has been a, a uh, consistent uh road accident is probably the best analogy that I could put it for the for the community. Unfortunately, there are some <clears throat> in the community that don't think so, but I'm sure the vast majority would agree that um, we there's a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. and, and we always say that in every election, right? We've been through a lot of elections. We always say that this is the most important election of our lifetime. Um, and I think if everyone just sort of took a breath, took a moment, 
took 60 seconds to really contemplate it. This really is the most important election of my lifetime and for the generation to follow, too. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell under President Obama. However, now we have a transgender ban for service members. How do you think that impacts not only the community, but the country? Well, um, I guess there's multiple ang- angles to answer that, right? We we know that we have transgender service members that are willing to um, stand up, step forward, and uh, put their lives on the line, the ultimate sacrifices everybody talks about for this country. Um, and they should feel supported and honored, uh, honored duty country in the, the, the army terms and stuff. Um, so it's, it's disappointing that we're in a world where we moved from those that were opposing marriage equality and using the uh, foil of um, gay and lesbian couples don't need to get married, they don't deserve to get married, it's not good in the eyes of God, um, they're not good for raising children, right? So they, they did as much as they could to stop marriage equality and once they realized that that was lost... Um, the foil or the focus or the spotlight then turned to the trans community, right? And what can we go ahead and block? Uh, everything from access to bathrooms to transgender military service. And our opinion and view should be anybody who wants to serve our country should. It's patriotic duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody who does enlist um, needs to be able to serve in whatever that role is that they're serving, whatever the MOS is, right? And so serve to the best of their capabilities and their um, fitness levels and everything else. So it's, you know, that's what it's really about is it's just just fear-mongering by those that don't understand the trans community, noting that there are trans service members today that have fought in Afghanistan and Iraq and are deployed in other places and will continue to to serve, right? But we have an administration that says... Nope, we we can't support that. So pretty sad, but it is on the line for that. It is. And I mean, I think one of the, you know, a big slap in the face is that a president who deferred service five times and, you know, because of bone spurs Mm -hmm. and has never, never seen a public service that he doesn't want to do, (laughs) you know, has made that decision. So it is, you know, we go back to all of the wins that we had under Obama and it seems that this president, you know, is hell bent on, on overturning them just because they, you know, they came under president. Uh, yeah. Obama. I mean, it doesn't seem he has, right. He, he right. has literally undone or his administration has undone. His cabinet has undone it. His political appointees have undone it. Um, everything from HHS and on, right. They, they've removed, right policies of equality um, that have been uh, you know put in by executive order or whatever it may be and he's he literally came into office and said hey um lgbt people love me and then quietly basically removed everything else that was out there for lgbtq people um right and it's 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 a sad thing but you know what progress can often be two steps forward one step back right and and you know, I, I can only believe because, you know, as much as you were sort of talking about, you know, 11 years since we last talked um, and, and I mentioned, hey, at that point in time, there was don't ask, don't tell repeal was was well, don't ask, don't tell was still enforced. It hadn't been repealed and other things. Right. 
Um, remember back then we also talked about how many cisgender straight people know gay people, right? And the, the numbers were pretty low, right? Or what is their experience of the LGBTQ community away from the pride parades in June? And the numbers were low. So a lot of organizations did a lot of work to showcase um, who we are as a community. And that won the will of the people really when it comes down into marriage equality, right? So it got from, you know, the 30% to the 40s, to the 50s, to the 60s, to the 70s. And we're now in a world where things are being repealed by the Trump administration or undone, but trans awareness is growing, right? People who mm-hmm. know trans, right? When, when I transitioned in the 2000s, there was no Caitlyn Jenner or Janet Mock or Laverne Cox or Angelica Ross as namesakes. Um, You know, there were a few people maybe that were out there, but there wasn't any forefront stuff going on. There was no real portrayals in the media um, other than somebody portraying a trans person as a sex worker or a victim of a hate crime. That was it. So, you know, we've come a long way, and I hope that the next administration, well, I know the next administration, the Biden administration, Biden-Harris administration, will undo all the stuff that was undone by Trump that was already <laughs> done by the Obama administration previously. So, Right. So you were involved in the uh, platform for the uh, Democratic National yeah. Committee. Yeah. Um, what aspects of the platform are improvements over what, you know, we, what we saw under president Obama. Sure. Good, good question. Um, way to, way to throw me off my, my thought train. Cause it's been a while, <laughs> you know, it's only, it's only been a couple of months. Uh, right? I don't think right. it's been a couple of months since we did it, but. Um, well, and each month seems like a year. Yeah. So. so what I wanted to focus on, on the platform committee, I was appointed by uh, chairman Dom, Dom, uh, Tom Perez of the DNC back in January was, really tightening up um, platform policy when it came to LGBTQ issues, as well as the intersectionality of LGBT issues um, in in other parts of the platform. So think about criminal justice reform, right? um, Trans women uh, included in that. So for me, it was looking at the draft of the platforms that we got from the drafting committee. um, And I got pretty uh, pretty OCD on how I approached it. I created a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet had uh, any and every mention of LGBT, LGBTQ, queer, transgender, gender nonconforming, non-binary. You know, you you name the acronym. I had it mm-hmm. as a column in a spreadsheet, and then I as a cross yeah, as I, as, yeah, and then I listed the page and the paragraph that it was in. And, you know, obviously sexual orientation is in there as well. Um, and I wanted to cross-reference how often words came up in the, in the different paragraphs. That would allow me to see the blind spots. The blind spots would then allow me to color in the lines with language. So think about things. Um, when it comes to be reporting on LGBTQ issues, um, we don't have, through the federal government, a very strong... Uh, reporting, whether it's, you know, some of the inc- incremental change we've made in the Census Bureau, right, asking, you know, same-sex couples in a in a home, but we need to be able to report on hate crimes and statistics, right, by demographics. Um, we need to make sure that um, areas inside of the platform, such as our veterans, um, have access to full comprehensive healthcare coverage, and then expand it even further down for transgender 
veterans, right? That they are able to get capable, comprehensive, um, full healthcare coverage. Um, so it was it was areas of saying, hey, you know what? We have an opportunity to insert some additional language here that is not going to be out of right field where somebody goes, well, this is too controversial. We can't have it. So whether it was making sure that um, uh, the transgender surgeries were included, whether it was reporting on statistics of hate crimes, whether it was the intersectionality I mentioned before about criminal justice reform and making sure that for um, trans people and especially trans women of color, um, when they uh, come into um, contact with you know, police, judges, prosecutors, public defenders, um, you know, uh, the jail system, right? That there is comprehensive training across the board for all of those people that are responsible for duty of care or, or stuff. Um, so it, it was just important that I had, there was about 26 amendments that all got approved um, inside of the platform, got them submitted, put my validation reasons why these are needed to change, either inserting words, like, um, you know, first time gender non-conforming, non-binary in a, in a platform, um, uh, confirmation surgery, just making sure that the surgical stuff was in there, um, all got approved and, and then all got ratified by the full platform committee that met. And obviously the full platform committee is members from every state then vote on the platform mm -hmm. that we as members of the core platform committee went ahead and put through uh, changes for. So for, for me, it's just a stark difference. Um, between what the DNC and the Democratic 2020 platform is and the RNC platform, which is essentially um, the 2016 RNC Republican platform with no changes. So still, it's still even right. against marriage equality, no mention of trans stuff. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, I spoke about the RNC platform in, in my first episode of uh, my relaunch and it, the, I mean, it's just night and day and the, I mean, for one, their inability to actually create a new platform, <laughs> you know, as if nothing has changed in four years and, you know, people have, you know, society hasn't evolved or, or anything like that. Um, but just the, for one, trying to write the LGBTQ community out of being involved in society. I mean, they essentially want us to be invisible. Well, yes, yes uh, and no, and but remember, as far as, as far as they're <laughs> concerned, they did have a gay appointee, right? The ambassador to Germany. They, they did right. make one move, so they can't be all bad. I mean, come on. They, <laughs> right. Of course you guys are bad. You can't have the tokenism that's going out there. And, you know, I, I, I've... Uh, I, I just um, created a filmed a sermon for National Coming Out Day, so you know, it's probably by the time this airs, it's it's already past uh, October 11th. But one of the things I said is, you know, it, it's amazing to think of things this way, which is we wouldn't be vocal, we wouldn't be demanding, asking, legislating, lobbying, doing all these things if we felt that this wasn't a unjust world that we're facing right now. So for those that say, well, we're all equal and you, got, you, you guys are all equal and it's all fine and we don't need that in the Republican platform and you know, Trump loves the LGBTQ community and the LGBTQ community loves Trump, you know, well, if that's the case, then why are so many people upset, angry, scared, nervous 
about our future, right? Why is the administration still taking um, positions to the Supreme Court to potentially undo? Why is the DOJ not protecting civil rights, but instead focusing on removing civil rights? Why is the Trump administration removing DEI training and wording from some of their internal programs and policies? Don't, don't they see the right. totality? I was going to say totalitarianism, which is probably a, a tip, of the t- tip of the tongue right now, but the totality <laughs> right. of what they're doing is impacting people who are saying we need help the most. Right. And it's not just, you know, in healthcare, it's in education, yep. the, you know, Department of Education essentially telling trans kids in schools, they don't mm-hmm. matter. It's the, you know, it's HUD saying that, discrimination against transgender people is fine. You know, it, it, it really does go down in every single department. Um, so uh, there was one win that I do want to talk about in the Supreme court, uh, over the summer (laughs) where, uh, the Supreme court ruled that gender identity and sexual orientation were covered under, uh, the sex, uh, category, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, How do you think that impacts things going forward? Yeah, what a great win that was. Uh, I think it's, uh, was it Bostick was the the, the thing. Um, You know, like everything, I think, if we we don't succeed with a win in November, um, it's going to be challenged again. We we know Mm. there are overtures on Roe versus Wade for, for women's choice and, and access uh, that they much need as well. Um, it is a win, right? Remember when we probably were talking in 2008, 2009, we were happy when we were getting EEOC. Um, right. I was going to say rulings, but they're really guidelines because there's nothing that's really truly enforceable, right? But we, we, we had had some prior wins, Um through the, the wonderful work that folks had done in the EEOC uh, under the Obama administration, but it was still a patchwork. The, the great thing about the Supreme Court ruling is that this is no longer a patchwork. This is now saying that um, sexual orientation, gender identity, right? Um, you cannot be fired from your job for that. But the problem we face is the opportunity for state level governments not to follow those guidelines, right? So mm-hmm. um, what I worry about is how does that communicate down from the Supreme Court on what is protected um, down into employers in you know, Mobile, Alabama or somewhere in the South where somebody's still going to say something um, and potentially have it challenged because then you have to have another case come up where the Boston case gets cited as no... You, you cannot do this that then stops it a lower court um, from doing anything. So uh, great ruling here to stay, I hope. Um, but I believe it's still going to be challenged as we move forward. Right. We still have to get over. Yeah, I agree. And it, it kind of reinforces the importance of legislation, you know, whether it be ENDA or uh, the Equality Act or even, you know, legislation that confirms a woman's right to choose. Yep. Um, all of those things, yes, there's precedent, but that hasn't stopped a number of decisions from being, you know, changed. So you're right. This, ex- this upcoming election is, you know, incredibly important. Um, 
And frankly, before that, we have a Supreme Court nomination that, you know, looks like it will probably go through, but we all have to fight like hell to do what we can to not make it go through. Let's understand it. Trump is going to do anything and everything that he can do to try and create division inside of this country, right? Um, that's not going to stop. It won't stop once the election is over. He's already signaled and indicated he is going to challenge the results um, because of his wording and phraseology that he uses at his rallies in his tweets. We already know that um, his followers, right, his, his sheeple are believing him and his word and not believing the rule of democracy or um, law. I mean, he, he talks about law and order and we know what's been happening in Michigan, right? So I think it is going to be a very troubling situation when the results come in um, either way. Right. And it's, it's, it, it's going to be a challenge. And the Supreme Court nomination um, is just a prime example of flip-flopping of the Republicans. Um, yeah, just the hypocrisy. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's, it's a true shame of um, political gusto and what do i mean by that Mm -hmm. you know a a politician should be um in office to improve the world to leave the world a better place to make sure that our children and grandchildren have a better um, world to live in from climate change full equality you know equality doesn't hurt people right Right. um and they're not there are a lot of career politicians um on both sides right that don't want to enact change and progress and really just want to keep their jobs because they don't want to go being, I don't know, whatever else they can get. They're going to get a pension, but you know, right. they don't want to do something different. And it, it just pains me to see that the world of the world, the country of hurt that we're in so many people are stressing out over this election and what it can bring. I'd rather have that stress removed and have unity than over division. Right. Um, right. It's, it's, it's sad. It truly is sad to think that we're still fighting and we can't be uh, moving forward as a nation. Yeah, definitely. It's taken a toll. I mean, myself, <laughs> speaking for myself, I feel like my mental health has, you know, especially over the last six months since we've been going through the quarantine and dealing with a global pandemic and just the chaos that has been, you know, sown by the president and the Republican Party, you know, has, it's not good for us as individuals or us as a country. I mean, people, I think, need to wake up and realize that republicanism is dead. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it started it started its drift in the uh, the Barry Goldwater days era, right in the sort of late sixties, seventies. Yep. It was then begun to be co opted by the religious right, the evangelical movement that sort of seeped its way into the Republican Party, and then we had the Tea Party, right, that, that came mm-hmm. in and changed it even further. You know, Trump didn't help at that point with um, the advent of birtherism and everything else that was going on. Now, now it's 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 lost its soul. It's lost its credibility uh, on what it is, and it's moved so far to the right. And unfortunately, you know, I, I wish my neighbors here in Texas would wake up. I've got my big four by six Biden sign, you know, stuck on three stakes in the front yard, and they've got their two Donald Trump signs. Um, mm-hmm. I like my neighbors. But it, this, it is painful to think that they're voting because of fear. They're voting because they fear minorities. They fear black people in the neighborhoods. They fear that 
some way of life that they can't put their finger on, some way of clinging to the past, the 1950s, the 1960s, whiteness of the world, that they're going to lose that, right? Because if they right. vote de Democrat, oh, my world. I mean, we've always voted Republican. What's wrong with being a Republican? Well, don't you see and please see beyond Fox News and what you hear from that, right? So. Right. And equally, they probably say the same thing. Well, please see beyond MSNBC or stuff. And I do. I watch BBC and Al Jazeera more than I probably do watching CNN and uh, and MSNBC. But yeah, yeah, it's um, you made a good point earlier where equality doesn't take any. You know, our equality does not take away from their equality right. or what they have. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah. Um, it's you know we've we have had a lot of fights just to get marriage equality or to get some semblance of trans equality right and what I, what I mean by that is when they say well you've already got equality right I remember I remember um, some of the statements from the National Organization of Marriage um, dare I you know please forgive me God for even mentioning <laughs> those three words. Um, you know, they would say, well, you, you as gay people, lesbians already have access to marriage. You just need to marry a woman or marry a man. And you, you already have it, right? Um, that's not what we want. That's not what equality is about. Um, and so for me, the, the it, it, providing somebody with equal access to something that you already have shouldn't be seen as a hard thing to go ahead and do. I just, mm -hmm. I can't put my words on it to say why equality matters enough but if the shoe was on the other person right i'm sure as heck they would be fighting for equality and making sure that that if they for lived sure. in world if if the world was gay and lesbian people are the only ones that get married um and they couldn't they would be fighting come hell or high water and it doesn't take anything away from what they've got already we're not we're not encroaching on their marriages right um, we're not forcing churches that are deeply religious held beliefs against gay and lesbian weddings, right? We have our own affirming churches that, that we can go worship at and do those things. But it, there's just this fear of other. It's not new, though, Nathan. It's not new, right? The fear of other was the fear of other of the black person, right? Before that or during that as well, the fear of other was the Irish immigrant, right? The fear of other was, right? A lot of different things that happened. The fear of other was a woman having the right to vote, having her voice, right? Just over a hundred years right. ago when women got the right to, to vote. So the fear of other is always going to create a wedge issue. And therefore the fear right now is the fear of, of um, black people um, being equal still and mm -hmm. the fear of trans people um, being seen and being visible. Yeah, I, I listened back to our conversation and one thing that you said that stuck out to me was when you have conversations with people, you know, perfect strangers on airplanes mm -hmm. about what equality means or, you know, what it is that we're fighting for, they often don't realize the extent of any, the inequality, right. you know, and I think, you know, some has changed in 11 years, you know, we have marriage, excuse me, we have marriage, we have, you know, uh, other protections, what, you know, what of those things that you think people don't know that we don't have inequality 
uh, still exists. Well, I still think it's going to be things around uh, access to housing, to credit, right? The Employment Mm -hmm. Non-The Equality Act is so core and so important uh, for the LGBTQ community, I think, uh, for trans people. It is access to uh, healthcare, um, that it's access for both LGBTQ people to non-discrimination healthcare, Meaning, you know, if you if you identify as male or female or you're gender non-conforming or binary, right? Respect the pronouns, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's a, there's a lot of education. I still talk to people about it all the time. If they're if they're open to having a five minute conversation, um, I want to know what is it that concerns them most about trans people access to the bathrooms. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that still is a conversation that happens. And, you know, more often than not, we can talk about it in fact and reality. Um, and they go, oh, yeah, I never really thought about that. Um, and, and that's go back to how we, we, we talked a little bit about 2008, nine, you know, people knowing somebody who is gay or lesbian was relatively low percentage and gradually it increased. It increased because of the storytelling. It increased because of the narrative and the sharing of people's daily lived lives and people that weren't aware of that going it's kind of no different to mine right you still have to go to the grocery store you still have to go to the bathroom you still have to buy clothes you're still looking after kids you're still doing all these things you're still stressing out over your job right mortgage payments and whatever else that's kind of the same thing as me but what is it you don't have well if my partner my wife um you know was sick and i was in a state that didn't recognize our marriage i probably wouldn't be able to visit her in the hospital oh that that's not going to happen well let me give you a couple of examples and those were the stories that we had to go through and tell now it's the stories about trans lives now it's the stories about you know as we started off talking about don't ask don't tell repeal and now we have the sort of transgender military ban that was enacted with one tweet uh from from donald trump um you know people have a stereotype of a trans person in their minds and they, that needs to be reset. So, um, you know, pulling up pictures on my phone of trans service members that are friends of mine, buff guys, buff dudes that I wouldn't want to be around sometimes if I was right, right <laughs> who could kick my ass in a minute, um, but who were assigned female at birth, but have been deployed and, and, and are fighting for our first amendment rights and our everything else rights, right? Um, so sharing some of these things gets them to go, oh, right. So it's it's the it's the pipe of content and news media that they're listening to has shaped their minds and encouraged the stereotypes that they always had at the back of their minds to be true. And it's only when you can have a conversation with them and say, well, that's that's your given prejudice. That's a slice of the news that you're getting the freakishness, because that's what media wants to do. They want to bring the story about the, 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 the man that bites the dog, not the dog that bites mm-hmm. the man. It's the man that bites the dog break, makes the front page news. So they want to bring you that freakishness, that front page stuff. Now let me show you the vast majority of normalcy of trans people. That are, you know what? They're the people that could be flying this airplane right now. They could be the attorney you're about to go meet. They could be the something else that you've just walked into the store to buy something with and from. And you probably never even knew, but we are here, right? So. Right. Yeah, and I think, so I watched uh, Disclosure on Netflix, um, you know, which is a, a fantastic documentary, I think, on 
transgender visibility. Mm -hmm. And it was really eye-opening how the the narrative about transgender people for so long was, as you mentioned earlier, the sex worker or, you know, the depraved serial killer or, you know, Mm -hmm. those things. Um, And it's, like you said, over the last 10 years, that visibility has changed a lot, you know, whether it be Pose or, you know, know, any of those move, you know, any of those shows that really highlight how transgender people are living with us, living around us. You know, it's, they're a part of our daily lives. Or have had to adopt to live or adapt to live around other people, right? That's what, that's where the post story was, right? It was, you know, they weren't free, but they were free in the, the environment that they created, the ballroom environment. And the great thing about Pose, I'm, I'm assuming every one of your listeners has watched Pose. And if they haven't, you know, I'm going to tell them, go watch it right from season one, <laughs> you know, is the, the the woven narrative that the script writers did, which were trans script writers, about the impact of being seen as being trans, right? So the, the model when she was threatened to be exposed by the photographer for her background and her history. Um, but those are things that the trans people do carry with them all the time is the fear of being exposed, which is, again, potentially makes you lose your job, which is, again, why we need the Equality Act, which is, again, why Bostick was so important for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the other Netflix documentary, you know, it's not just been in the last 10 or 20 years that trans people have been associated with, you know, stereotypical type of things right that documentary showed that it was way back to when silent movies first got started right yeah. so that's again and even before that in books you know i yeah, mean seeping, <laughs> in writing that's the, that's the seeping into your own narrative of perception of something right that people whether they recognize it or not they have that stereotype already ingrained in their head and it's only when you can have conversations with people or they see things um, that they can trust uh, a narrative, mm-hmm. a TV show, uh, a news piece that they go, Oh, it isn't that bad. Right. And that's why we need trans visibility more than ever today. Yeah. Uh, so you're the mother of two beautiful daughters. I am, yeah. Getting older. How, <laughs> how has that changed your kind of view on equality and transgender rights and visibility? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good question. I was, I was talking about my, I had both of my kids in my house at the same time yesterday for probably the first time in four months. Um, so, I, you know, disclosure here, I have a 27-year-old and I have a eight-year-old who will tell you she's eight and three quarters, thank you, nearly nine. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's two stages of transition that I had to go through with my kids. One was my eldest, who was uh, about 10 or 11 when I started my transition. And unfortunately, at that point in time, my ex didn't want to have anything to do with me and took my daughter overseas. And bang, she was gone. And I didn't see her for a long time. But uh, my eldest um, and I tried to stay in touch over a number of years. We got more and more in touch um, she came back to the States, um, when we would, you know, this is how circular everything is. She came back to the States when we were doing don't ask, don't tell repeal. And we we're doing voices of honor, um, speeches and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was talking about trans military service. Um, 
and she was, uh, I guess, at high school at some point uh, when when that was happening. But you know, she wanted to write a paper. She wanted to stay an extra day. She wanted to come with me to see me speak about um, "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" repeal and why it was important and stuff. Um, and that bonded us to the point that in 2015, when she was finishing up university, um, she said she wanted to move back to the states. And she wanted to apply for an internship at the human rights campaign that I was still on the board of directors of. Um, and I put her in contact with some people, made her apply, told people I didn't want to be involved in the process and have my name associated with it because I want to influence this stuff. But she got the internship and she was one of the sharp brains behind marriage equality and love wins and was on the Supreme Court steps when marriage equality came through. So it's great to see a kid that had been shamed by her other parent. Um, about who I was, um, turning her life around, and then being on the Supreme Court steps when marriage equality came down. Then my youngest kid um, has only known me as her mom, right? She's got two moms. She's only known me as a mom. I've been there since since birth. Um, she's not genetically mine uh, because, you know, my, my Audi became an innie, so to speak, um, and we used a donor, but she sees me as her mom. But this year we were in the swimming pool um, in the backyard and I had been, I've been given a heads up that she probably had a few questions that she wanted to ask me. Um, and we're swimming around and she's clinging on to me and she's like, mom. And I was like, yeah, what is it, honey? She goes, and I could tell she wanted to ask a question. She didn't want to ask it. I was like, it's okay. Cause I would have been given a heads up. What, what's the question? She goes, um, why do you have a deep voice? I was like, well, hmm why do you think I have a deep voice? And she goes, were you born a boy? And I said, yes, I was. Are you okay with that? She goes, yeah, I still love you. I love you very much, mom. And that was it. And that was the end of the conversation. So the, the, the difference is there between the two kids that I love very deeply is one was taken from me and away to overseas and sort of told of the irkiness of being trans. I wouldn't say, I don't know if she was specifically told Perkiness, but that's how it felt on my side. And then the other one has grown up with me. And the other one has also grown up in school with um, another classmate when she was in kindergarten and first grade who wore dresses to school mm-hmm. and others that identify in different directions as well. And the eight-year-old is just ambivalent. That's the only way I can put to to this whole world. And And that's why I think, again, this election is so important because these are the kids that are going to grow up to be the adults that potentially become the lawmakers who say, it's okay, there is no reason to be different. And they know us and they love us unconditionally. That's, you know, I, I think about how people talk about racism or talk about really any any type of bigotry and how it's a learned behavior. And I think that your story just now really, you know, magnifies that your, your daughter has not learned that, you know, other people, whether it be skin color or gender identity or sexual orientation are something to be afraid of. Um, how, and frankly, the conversation, you know, that quick conversation in the pool, uh, really highlights how simple it needs to be. I think everybody, make such a big deal about, you know, how to talk to kids about sexual orientation or gender identity, you know, whether it be reading a storybook to a, to kids in school or 
you know, the, the drag queens telling yeah. story, you know, doing story time at the library. Yeah. It's these things that people are so afraid of that, um, that make it more difficult than it, it, it is. It be. is the, it is the adult narrative of prejudice that is laid upon a kid's open mind, right? That steers yep. in that direction. And, you know, I wish people would have more of a five minute conversation every day with somebody they don't know or something mm -hmm. that is different to what they've already experienced um, and do it in a, in a way that encourages uncomfortable conversation. I want to learn. I want to know, right. Versus mm -hmm. the alternative, which is, I don't want to learn. I don't want to know. I don't want to expand my mind. Um, and therefore the, I'm going to use the word hate or the, um, mm -hmm. the prejudice that I already have in my mind is going to stay right. Or maybe it isn't, well, you know, maybe, maybe we should, really reach out to the Trump folks and understand where do they come from, right? I don't know about you, but I watch the the Daily Show um, videos and comedy things where they're interviewing a lot of Trump people. And, you know, there's, there's one, uh, I just had to laugh the other day, the guy said, he was interviewed and he said, the interviewer said, so is your life better under Trump than it was before? He goes, ah, yeah, it was. It was a lot better under, you know, I'm better now than I ever have been. I'm earning four times as much this year than I ever have done. And then the guy, the interviewer goes, so what is it you do? He goes, I'm a debt collector. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you see the ridiculousness of being a debt collector, earning four times as much as you ever did in the Trump economy? You know, that's just... Right. What does that tell you about the economy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, this week we, we lost a uh, very prominent advocate and activist for the trans community and Monica yeah. Roberts. Unfortunately, I did not have a chance to meet Monica. Um, in your own words, I'd like to hear what her impact was on the community yeah. and what we can learn. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Yeah, no. So, so Monica passed uh, Monday night. Um, initial reports were that she was in a hit and run. Um, looks like that wasn't the case, that she died of natural causes, which makes me feel a little bit better. Um, Monica is, it's hard for me to say was, right? So Monica, mm -hmm. Monica was an amazing powerhouse black trans woman. She mm -hmm. had the ability to warm a room and Basically, I don't want to say it. She would take on power like she just didn't give two Fs on it, right? So she stood up for what she believed in. And boy, did she believe in equality and justice and progress and all these things. And then she would call people out. She would call me out or others if we used the wrong word or if we didn't do something right. She would be in front of lawmakers and would, you know, the, the phrase speak truth to power. That That was, that's the encapsulation of Monica Roberts, right, was the ability for her to speak truth to power and to call lawmakers out on their hypocrisy. We talked about Republicans and stuff before, but mm -hmm. um, she was uh, a big icon in the, the trans community. Uh, and in particular, in the black trans community, she transitioned in the uh, early to mid 90s. Um, she ran a blog called, called Trans Grio, um, which was an amazing blog, got a lot of, a lot of awards. Um, and she's missed. I mean, it, I, when, when I read the news, um, sadly on Facebook, 
um, you know, my gut dropped, right? We, we, mm. We've lost a few people this year, but Monica, um, what a powerhouse and legacy that she leaves for others. She literally was the, uh, in quote, auntie for a lot of young black trans women. And mm -hmm. she would open up her home and her heart and her love for anybody. Um, and it's, it, it's a, it's a reeling shock. We're hoping to find out more on next week as to what happened and, and do something to memorialize her. I know people like Dee Dee Waters and other prominent trans, uh, black trans women are, are leading the charge on this for Monica, but um, she was in the state house. She was in Washington, DC. She was fighting for civil rights, black rights, black trans women rights, transgender rights. Um, just, just, a wonderful, wonderful woman who's going to be missed deeply. So what as the LGBTQ community can we do to honor Monica? Wow, good question. Um, I think fight, fight in her name, right? She was an unapologetic powerhouse, black trans woman that spoke truth to power. So if you can be unapologetic about your truth and your words, speak it, right? If you don't stand up today, do so. If you don't speak up today, do it. Um, she would have been first in line to vote when early voting opens up here in Texas uh, next week. Um, I actually saw on her Facebook page a post where she said, I can't wait to yeah. vote next week or yeah. something. And it was, you know, just before she yep. passed. And that. Yeah, she would have been first in line and she would have been standing there to make sure that nobody was. Um, discriminated against turned away she would have been checking all the rules and regulations and if some 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 nosy person busybody got in the way she would have been calling them out um so you know call to action for the lgbtq community would be be unapologetic in your truth be unapologetic in your visibility uh, be unapologetic in your authenticity in the way that you live your life so be visible be authentic uh be truthful um, go vote, go, go change this world and make sure it's a better place uh, that we can leave to um, our followers as we are ancestors to those followers. And let's, let's change this world for the better in the way that Monica um, not only stood up for, but championed and, and voiced every day when she was in politics and doing stuff. Yeah. She really, you know, I have the tagline for the podcast, come out, be out, live out loud. And, you know, that by the sound of it, that, you know, is how she lived her life. Uh, and, you know, we're three weeks from an election. Um, what advice do you have for people to what do they what do we need to do as a community over the next three weeks? Uh, love each other. Uh, take some grace. Um Realize that change happens because of you as an individual and as a collective community. And that if you have the, uh, if you have the gusto um, to get out and vote, to drive others to vote, to help others to vote, um, do it. If you can volunteer time to phone bank, do it. Um, but take a breath. When I mean, you put it, Nathan, right? We're, we're living through this quarantine time. 
-hmm. we're living through a crazy media time when we probably want to pull our hair out and throw things at the TV. We should be rightfully so concerned about our fellow citizens, um, including those that disagree with us, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we believe that we see the light and the path and the way forward, um, it should be up to us to hold our hands out to those that don't right now. Um, and that comes through the unapologetic, authentic, visible conversations that we need to have. Um, but take a breath, right? This is, this is a crazy mofo of a time. And, I'm, and when I <laughs> even said that, I was thinking that's exactly what Monica would say as well. Although it wouldn't be mofo, it'd be the real words. Um, <laughs> but we've got, we've got to find peace with inside of ourselves. And, you know, you talked about mental health. I, I hope you can find time for you. I need to find time for me. And um, I don't think it's going to end the ferocity and the stress just after the election, right? We have to see what right. the far right is going to do in the Bugaloo movement and the militia and everything else. Um, but I know in my heart that LGBTQ people have inherently fought hard for our rights. We have lost lives for our rights, you know, not just Monica passing, but Harvey Milk and all the others mm -hmm. that have been around us, right? We have been viciously attacked because of who we love or how we look. And we've pulled through. And we're going to pull through this one too. But the most important thing that we can do to help ourselves is to vote, get Biden-Harris in, have the policies uh, enacted that we talked about coming out of the platform, um, but also do it in a way that we don't take on the divisiveness that the current administration has and say, ha ha ha, look, we're in power now, you are not. I do think that we owe it to all Americans, all citizens of this fantastic republic um, to create unity over division. And it can start with that conversation I mentioned before. Definitely. And, you know, remember to vote for every single office Every that is on your ballot yeah. <laughs> it's not just about contact your local uh, democratic party your county party if needed they have lists of people all the way down ballot into you know your schools and county judges and everything else that's mm -hmm. going on so you don't have to do a ton of research they've probably done it for you just make sure you have that <laughs> right. list with you and you go vote yeah well you know, I, I'm glad to hear that you are optimistic, <laughs> that you believe, you know, I think we all need to be cautiously optimistic and it's really easy to get, uh, you know, down in, into the yeah. ugliness. Um, so just don't get complacent, right? right? Don't look at the numbers and see that Biden is ahead in whatever your state is by X amount of points. Right. Don't get complacent and think that you can pass it out. I, I would just say that if you, if you woke up, uh, in November of 2016 with a sucker punch in your gut as to what happened in that election and you feel that you've been sucker punched every day since under the Trump administration, don't leave it to chance. Right. Get out, early vote, early vote, stand in line, encourage others to come with you. If you've got friends, people, family, you know, get your little scooby-doo bus going or something <laughs> just drive them to the through the polls and and vote yep and for anybody looking for information on voting in your area go to vote.org 
They have links to every state uh, and information on how to vote early, how to request a mail-in ballot. Uh, there are still some states, you know, that you can still register to vote if you have not yet. So be sure to do your duty and uh, get out and vote. Uh, vote in honor of Monica. Uh, I think that we all owe that to her for the legacy that she left. So, Megan, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, let, let's not do this in another 11 years time. <laughs> another decade. You know? I don't want to do that. <laughs> You're welcome back anytime, and I'm going to be calling you to uh, to come back, and we'll hopefully have better things to talk about in 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 three weeks. And then and... I'd love to do it. Let's do a let's do a post election roundup, and then what can we see in the first. The first day of the administration, the first 100 days, because I've been working on that. I would love that. Administration. But yeah. That'd be Always great. Good thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. At the end of episode one, I presented a call to action and urged everyone to vote in the upcoming election. I want to reiterate the importance of this election. It's not too late to be involved, and it's not too late to make your voice heard. Please take a moment right now and go to vote.org and make sure that you're registered to vote. You can also find information there on voting early or requesting a mail-in ballot. In addition to ensuring that you vote, I want to challenge everybody to take a couple hours over the next few weeks to volunteer. Whether it be for a specific candidate, a political party, or an organization that is important to you. Make sure that you show up. Again, go to vote.org right now and make your plan to vote. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nathan Out Loud. I would especially like to thank Megan Stabler for taking the time to discuss with me the important issues that our community is facing and for sharing her story. If you have any feedback, would like to share your story, or just want to say hello, please email me at comments at nathanoutloud.com. Or you can call the Nathan Out Loud listener line at 802-32-BE-OUT. That's 802-322-BE-OUT. 3688. You can follow the show on Twitter at Nathan Out Loud or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Nathan Out Loud fans. You can also find it on Instagram at Nathan.outloud. And please be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Nathan Out Loud. Until then, come out, be out, live out loud.